Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. My name is Todd Embley and I am your host. Today I am pleased to be joined by Chin Chen, the managing editor at TechNode, one of the leading media sources on China's technology and startup scene. Chin has an impressive journalism career spanning both China and the US, including stints at SCMP, New Yorker, and CNBC. Chin, welcome to The Negotiation Podcast. Thanks for having me, Todd. All right. Now, some of you may or may not remember, if you've been a longtime listener, I think a few years ago, we actually interviewed the founder of TechNode, Gong Lu, but it has been some time. Uh, TechNode always at the forefront of reporting on all things tech startup and otherwise uh, in China and in Asia. So it's really exciting to have somebody come back after such a long period. We're really thrilled to have you. First of all, why don't you tell us where are we recording you from today? Uh, I'm in Shanghai currently, and that's where uh, Techno Headquarter is. Uh, and I moved back to Shanghai two years ago after spending in Beijing for three years. And before that, I was in the U.S. Okay, yeah. So let's dive into that. Tell us, what is that kind of career trajectory that you've had and where you've lived that has led you to the role of managing editor at Technode? Um, honestly, it's... Uh, just the flow of event. Uh, you can't really plan on those things. I, I would say I'm a content creator and a strategist uh, and started in media and also have worked in the media industry for nine years. Five of those are in the U.S. and four of those are in China. So uh, I started more as a video journalist. So I did, uh, I, I worked as a video producer for CNBC and, and then uh, shortly for the New Yorker Magazine's video team. Um, and then after that, I, I, I really thought about coming back to China and transitioning more to a writing role. Uh, and and that's, that's what I did. So in, back in 2019, I joined SCMP, the South China Morning Post, uh, covering China's societal and current affair for their startup uh, news app called Inkstone. Um, and then after that, um, uh, I, I felt this, this, this feeling that I wanted to concentrate on one area uh, instead of looking at a broad range of things. Because at SCMP, a general news, and also at all the other places that I've worked before, you also have to follow policy, economics, uh, businesses, just a lot of things. And I wanted to focus on one, maybe one or two, two things. Um, and that's when, you know, techno jumps out, that opportunity came, uh, and I felt it was a good way for me to focus on tech, uh, look, looking at, uh, looking at the society through the lens of tech. And I like that focus. So, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's where, where I am now managing a small group of reporters covering China's tech industries. Is it fair to say TechNode is an independent yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay. And, you know, just before we began, I was telling you how long I've known Gong Lu, how much I love Gong and appreciate him. It's just one of the most true people that I've ever had the pleasure of knowing in my life. Um, he's such a great guy. And as you were talking about traveling through, and, and especially with being South China Morning Post, I wanted to ask you something off the at the beginning about the state of journalism about because I find, you know, politics has a way of bringing media very much to the forefront. It's in the limelight. You've, you've done it in the U S and now you've done it 
in, in China, two of the hottest places where media is talked about. Um, and I, I think globally it is under the gun a little bit right now. We see a lot with the social medias. I know that uh, Canada and Australia trying to make uh, the, the tech giants like uh, Facebook pay when they link to the you know stuff going on. There's just, it's just always there now. It's always there. So big, broad, overarching question of what are your thoughts on journalism and media in the world today? Um, gosh, that's a, it's that's a big a one, big, big one. Um, look, I think, um, journalism and media has become very, very different in the last two decades. Um, partly thanks to, to the internet and, and all, all of the apps and all of the mobile, mobile revolution that we're seeing now. Um, one thing I'm, I'm I, I would say is, we're looking at a, we're living in an age where media um, and journalism are increasingly become two different things. People consume a lot of media, but uh, very few of them are made with a journalistic mind because a lot of the social media, a lot of the influencers, they not studied a, um, an ounce of what journalism or news came before them. I'm not saying that anyone that does news need to study, but it, you know, there is a way of uh, producing very, very uh, objective facts. Um, there, there, there is a system of doing that. Um, and, and a lot of the media that we consume these days just aren't made with that mind. Um, and I think that's going to be a trend uh, continuing on. So I would say... The media businesses has been um, pretty much revolutionized by by Facebook, by Google, by all of the big content heavy uh, internet giants. Uh, the business business model that were, worked before mm-hmm. two decades ago doesn't work anymore. The ads revenue is not there anymore, uh, and I think the media business have not figured out how to replace the lost ad revenue. Um, so now you're seeing, um, basically, I would say the tech giants had the tech um, and the media giants had the content. And now the two of them aren't really living very well together. Uh, and most of the good content aren't really getting to the public. Uh, the public are getting a lot of content because the tech media are very good at delivering those content. Uh, but those content might not be the best uh, for the public interest. And right now, I think the society hasn't figured out a way to bring the best of the both worlds. Like, I hope uh, on TikTok or on Facebook or, or on YouTube, uh, people can get, like, New York Times quality stuff. Um, but we all know that uh, people aren't really looking for that. And, and they, they their taste has varied, too. So, so that, I mean, that's the age we're living in and then we just have to navigate that. Yeah. It must be interesting times in your, uh, world and, and kind of as you've grown up and, and spent the last eight years and doing everything that you do, um, uh, navigating it, um, yeah, it can be, it can be really exciting as well. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there as well. So, all right, let's switch gears. Thank you very much for jumping on that question. Uh, and, and handling it so, so uh, deftly. 
Um, I really appreciate that. I kind of threw that one at you and uh, it just was inspired to talk to somebody in media journalism about that. I think it's a very interesting question to hear people in the industry um, who are true journalists to talk about that. So thank you very much for taking that on. Um, no problem. I want to switch gears into talking about Chinese automakers. As we know, um, they've really started to grow um, bordering on exploding um it's it's been an unbelievable run lately for chinese automakers i'd like to ask you what do you think the factors are that explain that super super amazing growth of chinese automakers yeah um i, I think three things uh first government planning and second technological breakthroughs and third um is incentives so I'll explain probably backwards. I'll start with incentives. Uh, China has a very, very strong incentives to develop its own auto industry. Because if we're talking about um, uh, the gas car era, the Chinese automakers aren't just not on the same competitive level compared to all the foreign brands. Even in China, people would always prefer to buy foreign brands over domestic brands. And that has been the case uh, until EV. So, you know, China has uh, incentives to take on uh, a paradigm shift and, and to build up its own auto, auto industry if, if it saw a chance. Uh, and that kind of brings us to kind of the second reason. It does saw a chance, uh, I think, over the last decade or two, uh, it saw the te technological breakthrough in the electrical system. It saw how powerful batteries now can be and how electric motors can be more efficient. Um, so all of these things and, and battery chemistries and designs, um, the Chinese government have looked at those things and, and thought like, yeah, we are maybe on the forefront. Uh, we're at an era where um, the tech advancement has allowed uh, this very, very established traditional industry to have some new uh, revolution of players. So, um, and the third one, obviously, government planning. Um, I I was looking at the data and and, uh, and and looking at the documents. I was very surprised to see that China has rolled out uh, a, a very early on plan back in 2012. Uh, they said from 2012 to 2020, uh, they're planning to development of energy saving and new energy vehicle uh, automotive industry. And they set out very specific targets. Um, so some of them are like focusing on the main components of the electrical system and building battery tech and then building an uh, electrical charging grid. Those were all rolled out back in 2012. Um, like I was reading it and I was surprised to see how relevant that is um, a decade ago. So this has been a long-term planning uh, and, and I think it, it probably shouldn't be surprised to see how things have came into fruition because the government really, really thought about it and, and want this to happen. And they gave out a lot of tax incentives as well, a lot of uh, ca cash incentives and, and helping uh, the industry to make that transition. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a culmination of good timing and, and long-term planning um, at, at this time when the technology is ready. Yeah, I've 
always been fascinated by China's foresight um, and ability when they see almost the line is too long um, to get involved in something. They just go and find out where's the next line going to start and they go get first in line somewhere else. And I mean, we, we, we've seen it in, in AI, we've seen it in EV, we've seen it in, in banking, um, really. I mean, how long would it take to overhaul China's banking system to be able to be like it is in North America or Europe, to be able to have everybody has credit scores and online, you know, and, and just the way that everybody expects. So they, they didn't bother. They just go, well, let's just do online internet banks and uh, just start, you know, and just start fresh and get out in front of everybody else in something else rather than try to catch up to something that is so established. And I think the EV sector is no different. So uh, what is your overall outlook for the future of the EV sector in China? And then maybe if I could ask you, what are some of the companies in particular that we need to be paying attention to? Yeah, um, I think the consensus that we're having now is we're going to see a consolidation phase. Uh, right now, obviously, we have a lot of different EV companies, maybe 20 um, to be relevant in, in, in every, every monthly charts. Um, but I think over the next couple of years, uh, we're definitely going to see a very competitive phase uh, because auto industry is a business of scale. Uh, if you doesn't reach a certain level of market, market share, uh, you're not going to be keep burning caches. So, uh, so I think less competitive companies might be eliminated during the process. Uh, it might be too soon to call who those companies will be. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, and, and yeah. Who are and the as, big ones right now? I mean, I, we've talked about it a couple of times before. We know Warren Buffett and BYD, okay? I mean, that's been in the news for, I don't know, six, seven years now. Um, but who are the big electric vehicle companies? Uh, you're just like the top three, maybe, uh, so far in China. And you don't um, have to get it right. Maybe just pick your in, favorites. Well, in terms of sale number, BYD um, and Gax Ion. AION, uh, it belongs to a kind of state-owned uh, joint venture con car company based in, in Guangzhou. So uh, these two are probably on top of the sale, uh, mostly sales chart. Um, and then, you know, Tesla China is also uh, always the stable there. Um, and, and then obviously we have the, the U.S. trail, the, the NEO, the X-Ben, uh, and the Liado. Uh, those three EV startups have uh, listed in the U.S., uh, and they've always been sort of talked together uh, during the past couple of years, um, looked at as the, the, the disruptors, so to speak. So, yeah. you know, those are, those are the companies that have the limelight, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 so many out there now, and I, I love it. I think it's amazing. Um, I'm just worried about where we're going to get all the electricity soon, uh, or where neighborhoods are going to be able to be able to provide it without taking down the entire grid overnight. Um, I know here in Canada we've got other companies like Polestar, 
Um, mm-hmm. There's another company that I kind of, uh, I'm a bit of a fanboy of River, uh, Rivian. Um, I like this, the look and, and design and functionality of their vehicles a lot. So, so that's really cool. Um, now, also big tech companies are getting into uh, the EV game as well. How do big tech companies get involved in electric vehicles? And how do you view that trend going forward? Um, before I get to that question, can I add a little bit on the on a previous one? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I just want to mention a few kind of companies that uh, is probably a little bit under the radar and and, uh, and and people might not pay as much attention to. That'd be great, though, because, I mean, all of our China watchers and Asia watchers that listen to this show, that's exactly the stuff they're looking for. So, yeah, give us some of the unknowns. Um, well, lesser knowns. Um, so th- those those companies they tend to price lower, uh, and I would say they probably target to rural China and maybe or maybe like lower tier cities. So I I, I consider them as maybe the potential Pinduoduo of EVs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one one I already mentioned the Ion, um, that one, and then Hozon, H O Z O N. Uh, that company makes very affordable uh, rate, like kind of super fancy cars, like racing cars. Like they're very fancy. They sometimes have gold wings, and they're priced uh, incredibly friendly. So I, I would assume they attract uh, maybe young buyers in in lower tier cities. So you can spend probably like two hundred thousand uh, RMB on a sports car like a fancy looking sports car, but it's EV, like a sports EV. So Hozon and Depot, D-E-P-A-L, uh, that's also a sub-brand that, from, that came from a joint venture state-owned uh, automaker. Uh, they, that, it, they, they also make like SUVs or smaller cars, but again, uh, very affordable and cheaper price. Uh, okay. And then... Uling is another one. They they make a very very small car, like like smart, uh, mm-hmm. like two door tiny cars. Uh, that one has been uh, selling incredibly well uh, in in smaller areas. So so yeah, I, I would say pay attention to some of the lower priced uh, EV makers. They may not have the best tech, uh, but in terms of market attraction, uh, they, they might surprise people. So 200,000 RMB these days, are we still, are we sitting around 35,000 us? What is just to put that in us dollars, you know, terms, uh, is it still about six to one, uh, seven to one, seven Seven to one us. Yeah. So like about, about 30,000, 30,000. Yeah, okay. for for an EV sports car that looks that 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 ha- can catch ab- eyeballs, yeah, and has gullwing doors. I love that. Uh, m- maybe not all all of them have gullwings, but I know that some of them do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's go and talk about uh, the big tech companies getting involved. Uh, big tech companies getting in on the EV game. How do they do it? And how do you do? How do you view that trend? Yeah. Um, I think honestly, it's very, very logical to to have the big tech to get in in our EVs um, because we're seeing a transition uh, in the Chinese tech giants where they're transitioning from uh, making consumer 
great product or making consumer serve uh, focusing on consumer services to a more industrialized uh, services uh, because we're looking at if we're looking at the big tech companies Alibaba focuses on shopping Tencent focuses on content messaging and gaming and Baidu is on search uh, and AI and Bidance is on content and shopping again. Um, so a lot of those things, you know, they're, they're two C, they're two customers. Um, but, you know, everybody could see that, uh, that, that area, the growth has already reached into its ceiling. Um, uh, th- there will still be growth, but it just won't be that much and that, that drastic, like what it was uh, back, in, uh, back in 2010. So it's natural for, for these big companies to want to uh, get on the new growth point. Um, and, and automotive, honestly, is one of the two brightest growth area in China, um, probably in the past two two three years, um, especially last year. Uh, so, you know, and I think out of all of the, the giants, Baidu and Huawei is probably much more involved uh, in the auto in the industry. Uh, both are trying to offer software and uh, operating systems for, for EVs. Um, and, and Xiaomi, obviously, the, the smartphone maker, is trying to launch its own EV by 2024. Um, so that, that's probably the, the most involved uh, out of all of them. Uh, the rest, I think, Alibaba has its own sub-brand trying to build uh, an, an auto operating system again. Um, and then, and also Alibaba and Tencent are heavily involved in investing in all of those uh, EV startups. They, they definitely invest a lot of money in, to, to fund those EV startups. That's quite fascinating, at least to me, because I don't think that that is a trend in North America amongst the big tech giants. You would not hear of, you know, the Facebook Roadster uh, or, you know, uh, the Google SUV. Um, They seem to stay in their lane a little bit more. But in China, it seems they have no problem jumping in. And it's like, yeah, I mean, the the, the Xiaomi Go Far um, car or something. I mean, uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, Worth worth noting, um, I, I think, just that that is a very different uh, landscape and culture over there amongst the tech giants. Now, um, we're going to switch gears again, uh, no pun intended, and talk about generative AI, okay, in China. Um, it's everywhere. It's all over the socials now. They've all got their own Instagram accounts and their, their own TikToks, and um, it's pretty unbelievable what they're doing. Um, I'm surprised we're not talking more about chat GPT right now, but we're still talking about generative AI. What, there's a few questions in here, so you may have to write these down, but I want to talk about the widespread applications of generative AI that you're seeing in your forecast for that space. And we'll keep it to two, one more. Who are the most significant players in generative AI in that area of the world? Right. Um, the, the most widespread application, um, if we're talking about the Chinese alternatives right now, I think it's still, we haven't seen like a, a popular Chinese, uh, chatbot or a AIGC app taking over in China as much as like 
OpenAI's ChatGPT has been in the world. So I, I'd say, you know, ChatGPT mid-journey, that still takes uh, takes the reign. Um, in, in the people who are interested in AI and AIGC in China, a lot of people still rely on those tools, whether it's directly, uh, whether they directly can access it or they, uh, they access it through different ways because the access isn't always uh, very, uh, very readily available in China. Uh, but there are, there are ways to get around it. Um, but on the flip side, um, AI and AIGC has been honestly the topic to, to talk and the topic to watch in China's tech industry since earlier this year, probably around uh, February. I think that the momentum really took off from there and hasn't slowed. Um, a, a few things I would probably say is right now we're seeing mostly the Chinese tech giants uh, and, and some of the best educational institutions driving most of the conversation. So Baidu has released their uh, sort of the chat GPT version uh, based on their own uh, big model called Ernie, E-R-N-I-E. Uh, and then Tsinghua University has released their big model called GLM. Uh, and those are, uh, and, and Alibaba and uh, Tencent has also released their own version of, of big model. Uh, so, so far, uh, most of the, the big tech companies are, are releasing their own models. And we're talking about uh, probably a big model release every day, uh, but a lot of them are probably fine-tuned model based on open sourced, uh, but they, they may not tell you as is. So I, I would say I, I consider, you know, the, uh, the, the, the fully uh, self-developed big model, probably those are right now only the games of, uh, of tech giants. Uh, other big models, you might see news uh, in Chinese tech industry every day, like so-and-so released a big model. Just take that with a grain of thought uh, because we, we can, like, we just wrapped up WAIC. Uh, there were like a hundred big models released during that period of time. Uh, the World AI Conference that was held um, last week in Shanghai. So, so yeah, the big model fever is is here, and, and it's probably going to be uh, that that popular for a couple of months. Um, so, but pay attention to the big, big giants, but also pay attention to some, some of the startups. So Kai-Fu Lee, um, have launched his own startup to, to do AI. He hasn't give too much, uh, details on what he will do, but I will definitely pay close attention to what Kai-Fu Lee offers. Uh, and Jia Yangqing, uh, who, uh, have worked in Alibaba Cloud and also was, very influential to CAFE, which is a deep learning framework um, that, um, and, and he also worked in AI division in, for Facebook before he joined Alibaba. So he has left Alibaba a few months ago and started his own startups. So there are a ton of those examples. And I also think that some people from ByteDance and Show are also leaving their companies, doing their own AI startups. So uh, those people I would also pay close attention to because they may be bridging the gap between what the tech giants is offering, you know, the big models, to the, the end applications. All right. 
Thank you for that. Um, no offense, but Chat GPT did write this list of questions um, when I asked it. Uh, what are the questions I should ask Chin Chen on a podcast? And well, there we are. Um, now, one of the trends that WPIC is observing is a competition between the e-commerce platforms. Uh, it's been raging for a little while. It's continuing to rage on now. Uh, and then new new players come over the horizon and join the battle every day. How do you assess the current competitive landscape of e-commerce? And who are the hot upstarts? And how is Alibaba handling all of these challenges and the war that is raging right now? Um, I would say the current landscape of e-commerce is um, it's brutal. Um, it's it, it, it honestly, I I I I have a lot of sympathies for people working in that industry um, because. It's it's basically a game of everyone trying to be like everyone at this stage. Because if we're talking about five years ago, every apps has its own distinctive uh, kind of nature and, and their own advantages. Alibaba uh, is just this all-around uh, platform. And then Jindone is more like Amazon, where it does more uh, management and, and it does its own logistics. And then uh, Pinduoduo is more on the lower priced uh, price point. And then there weren't really like Kuaishou or, or uh, Douyin, which is uh, the TikTok Chinese version. Uh, those players weren't there back then. Uh, and and, and not, not, not to mention like Meituan. Uh, Meituan is more, I, I, I would say it's more Yelp-like. Or not, not, not really. Up, like it's more, uh, it's more where you would just order food. It's for for daily like delivery, food delivery stuff. So you can see everyone has its own place. Um, mm-hmm. But now, right now, it's like everyone is trying to take the playbook of other people and and tr- <laughs> and trying to outdo it. So Biden has tried just to talked be- about this. With the Xiaomi getting into electric vehicles. I mean, nobody is safe. No vertical is safe. Yeah, the vertical uh, right now, like the e-commerce is the worst uh, of the vertical infringing trend mm-hmm. uh, where uh, where like everyone is trying to do everything. So Meituan is trying to be a little bit more like Alibaba where they offer just traditional uh, shop uh, e-commerce like shopping uh, experiences outside of the, the food delivery. So now you can buy groceries, you can buy all different kinds of things on Meituan if you want. Uh, and Jindong is trying to be more like Pinduoduo where they just try to keep the price low. Um, uh, and then Alibaba is Alibaba is trying to be, I would say it's trying to be a bit more content heavy. It's trying to take some playbook maybe from ByteDance and and Tencent, where it's building its own uh, content community uh, and trying to persuade people to spend more time on their app. Um, and, and, and also, like, new players, so content players, we're talking about ByteDance, Douyin, and Xiaohongshu, uh, and then even Tencent's WeChat's uh, video channel. All of those content places, apps where people just used to watch just videos or just consume content has now become an e-commerce app 
where you can buy things while you uh, consume content. So it's a, it, it, yeah, it's again, brutal. Yeah. Um, I remember this thing that we used to talk about in China a decade ago, something called walled gardens. And um, there's no way anybody could keep a wall up uh, anymore, it would seem. Um, yeah. Uh, everybody, you just, everybody can see right through your wall or get through your wall now. Um, I wanted to ask maybe on the topic of that big battle going on, there must be some winners. Uh, and we know that they're all going at it hardcore. But would you say that there's potentially some winners here? Are consumers winning? Are brands winning amidst the battles that are going on amongst the platforms? Yeah. Yeah, I think the brands and the consumer uh, benefits from them. Um, because one, a consumer now has a lot more choices to compare price from. Uh, and they know there is an immense pressure to keep the price competitive because of players like Pinduoduo, uh, where they, they just have a way of always keeping pretty competitive pricing. And that, that adds pressure to, to places like Jingdong and, and Alibaba. Um, and, and also, I think uh, the, the brands would love it because they have different ways of advertising now. Um, back in Ali, like Alibaba or Jingdong, it's mostly search-based, right? Interest-based. It's algorithm-driven. Uh, it's not. It's not as algorithm-driven or as content-driven as other platform. But now brands can also become their own kind of content marketer on different platforms. Uh, you can create your own content on Xiaohongshu. Uh, you can do very direct marketing on ByteDance. And those are a lot of the, a lot, a lot of times, um, those opportunities just aren't there until those new apps that come into the, into the realm. Okay. We do have one battle going on stateside, and that seems to be Zuckerberg and Musk. Um, <laughs> they are going at it. Pretty well. And I know that you must still be paying attention uh, to what's going on, on the other side of the ocean. Can you tell me your thoughts on threads and what is threads? Why is everybody suddenly jumping on there? Is this Zuckerberg just messing with Twitter? What is happening there? Um, well, I think uh, that there's two things. One, um, I, I threads does feel and 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 feel like a kind of younger version of Twitter um and and it's probably more catered towards Instagram users than previous Twitter users so so I'm seeing a generation gap if you're a heavy Instagram users you would love threads because you, all of your friends that you used to interact with is already on there and I, and you may not be as a heavy Twitter user before because I think Instagram people are more visual um, than, than Twitter people. So, so all of a sudden you have a different platform uh, to, to communicate and showcase. Um, but if you're a heavy Twitter user and you're more of a text-based person, you might find it a, a kind of a weird place because you don't know who those people you're following and, and you don't know why those, those conversations are happening on your feeds. 
So, so that I, I think there is a generation gap there. Uh, uh, maybe millennials and, and, and Gen Zs likes, uh, like, like, likes threats more, more than uh, a more, more older generation. Yeah. Um, well, to be honest, I did. I never got on the Twitter train. Um, I had to uh, put a pin in the socials somewhere and draw the line. And kind of that's 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 where I, I drew it. And and now Threads, I'm like poking around a little bit um, just to, to see. It hasn't grabbed me yet, so uh, we'll see. But again, thank you for taking that on. I appreciate that. Uh, I needed somebody to kind of call that out and uh, differentiate between those because uh, I just thought this was. You know, again, Zuckerberg just Zuckerberg and Musk, Musk just seem to be going at it all the time now. It's it's pretty funny. They they may actually end up in a ring one of these days, uh, and that would be awesome if that happened. Um, <laughs> to wrap up the socials, let's talk a little bit about Meituan. Um, you know, a, a, a related trend is competition in the local life sciences uh, or local life services space. Um, Meituan owned it, um, but now. Do they still? Are they losing their grip on that market? I, I don't think so. Um, obviously, we're, we're seeing Biden's uh, dipping their toe into it um, with with Doing. Uh, but honestly, life uh, local life services is hard work, and it's really hard work. Um, you have to manage a fleet of delivery drivers and you have to t- constantly manage the, the, the mom and pop shops. Uh, those are just dirty works. And, and not every company um, has, the, has the appetite to, to manage those work. And I, and I think Meituan is known for uh, willing to... To do the dirty work and and to to thrive on the on the low profit margin, mm-hmm. so so I think uh, we're we're seeing like uh, Biden's doing retreat from this sector recently. Uh, they've announced that they will only they will focus more on food deliveries that's over a certain price price point. I think it's above sixty uh, RMB, which is less than 10, 10 bucks. Uh, which is a higher uh, on on a higher end for for Chinese um, single meal expenditures. Um, so if you're spending uh, sixty RMB, you're spending uh, spending quite quite a bit on on the launch. So they're they're looking they're they're kind of leaving the smaller uh, smaller um, cheaper price to to other other apps. They're they're more focused on higher more expensive meals so uh I, I, I that tells me that they are having trouble managing logistics managing deliveries uh so they're trying to to do less yeah. so yeah i think meituan is still the king the barrier to entry has to be higher there than in a lot of other sectors um it's a lot to understand build and manage and then the relationships um and the culture and it's I also think that it, the switching costs are really high to try to steal yeah. um, market share as well, because these are people that have spent a long time getting comfortable, uh, especially on the B side, that um, they're not going to be super excited about having to learn something new. And given the 
the kind of revenue profit margin that you're playing in right there to actually what it would cost to have them overcome um, the inertia to switch would be pretty huge, maybe not worth paying for. And it may not be worth. So the pioneering costs were definitely worth it for Meituan. Um, and uh, yeah, they're going to be very hard to dethrone um, in, in that space. So um, yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. Um, and I, and I like your take on that. So to wrap this up, what, if you had to pick one, what to you is the most exciting story in China tech right now? Um, diversity. We're looking, <laughs> we're moving away from a uh, consumer internet uh, phase where we're entering uh, the Chinese tech, the Chinese tech industry is now entering a phase where uh, the story is moving away from consumer te- internet. Uh, cons- Sorry, I'm going to start over. Consumerism. <laughs> Sorry. No, go ahead. I'll All right. It's thirsty work, this talking. Yeah. Um, do you want to just uh, do that question sure, I'll again? I'll hit you again. Yeah. So to wrap this conversation, one last question. And if you had to pick one, what to you is the most exciting story in China tech right now? Yeah, um, I would say diversity. Diversity. Yeah, because uh, we're finally moving away from just this very focused on consumer internet uh, to this diversification of different areas of, of tech offerings. Uh, just just then we talked about EVs, um, and and behind EVs we're. There's also a lot of actions that's happening to industry internet, so industrialized internet. So we're talking about SaaS uh, software as a service companies. We're talking about cloud computings uh, and AI. Um, so we're we're seeing that the Chinese tech industry are maturing to a degree where there's a lot of different subsectors, and each subsectors are very exciting. Uh, and, and are developing. Uh, I think before five, five, ten years ago, most people still just focused on uh, consumer tech companies. Um, so the shopping, the content, the gaming. And now outside of the shopping and content gaming, we're having a lot of a, a, a wide basket of different companies that also offering business to business services and products. Um, and, and some of them are more hard tech uh, than the soft, soft tech that we're seeing. So, um, yeah, you can, you can just pick and choose your own subsector to watch now because there, there's plenty to watch in, in, in each field. Okay. Awesome. All right. Chin Chen, Managing Editor at Techno. Thank you very, very much for being on the show today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me, Todd.
All right, for everybody who's listening to the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, don't forget we have the video version over in the WPAC YouTube channel. And for those of you watching on the YouTube channel or watching the video wherever you're watching it, don't forget we have the podcast on all the podcast platforms. But for me and everybody who helps produce the negotiation and for Chin Chen for being such a wonderful guest, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Have a good one.